Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, New Abbey, we believe in conversation. Everything that we do is about conversation here. Uh, we believe that God has experienced through each and every single one of our lives. We work really, really hard to make it not about who the person is that's preaching or what the music is or whatever lights and lasers show. And I don't say that cynically. I say that seriously of I believe that you all are the body of Christ, that you all are the people of God, and you should hear from one another, uh, that God is found in each of your lives, and our job is not to collect more power and authority. Our job is to empower you so that you can trust in the authority that God has already given you. And so with that, that's simply why we have conversation. Everything is to set up that. And so with that, we have a nice light Advent question for you all to start off with today. And it is, what are you hoping for? Find three or four people around you. And you got four minutes. Enjoy. <laughs> for centuries, the church around the world celebrates Advent. It's part of the liturgical calendar. Uh, I grew up in evangelicalism, so we didn't really have a liturgical calendar. Uh, and the liturgical calendar is something that the vast majority of Christians follow throughout the year. It's broken up into a few major areas. Uh, there's Advent, which is really this celebration, this longing, this anticipation, this idea that there is light coming in the darkness. It's in the winter season for a reason, that as the world gets darker in the northern hemisphere, um, that we light, light candles, that we light up Christmas trees, that we put lights up as a reminder that that light is coming into this world, that the hope in Christian tradition is this reminder that Christ not only came, but Christ is also coming again. Uh, and I don't mean that in like the rapture-y sense. There's no Kirk Cameron here, friends. Um, I mean that in the sense of the truth of just what it means to be human, that we're constantly anticipating that Jesus is making new presence in our lives, that we are always birthing something new, that we're always dying and resurrecting to something new, that there's just a way to be human that we find in the life of Jesus. And that's why we go through the liturgical calendar. That's the power of the ritual in Advent. How many of you, you can look back to a year ago and maybe you have some different hopes than you have this year? Why? I see you shaking your heads, yes. Can I get an amen, right? You shake your heads, yes, because you've evolved and you've grown. There's not just some magical moment where you said a prayer and you welcome Jesus into your heart right next to the fire where he's sitting right now reading a Richard Rohr book. No. <laughs> that part of the life of Jesus is being open to the evolution and to the growth and to the change of what God is doing in you and that God is birthing something new into you this Advent season. And we welcome that and we anticipate that and we long for that. And there are moments that we pause and we prepare ourselves to move towards that. And so, as we think about Advent with one another, the thing that I'm thinking about is this idea of an experience. And we'll get more into that. As we think about an experience, I want to talk about hope. That hope is our desire for a better future. There's no human being that has a desire for a worse future. You're always desiring that something will be better, that there's something else on the horizon, that there's something that you're dreaming of, that Part of what it means to be human is our capacity to imagine that life could look a little bit different. That even in the most difficult of times, human beings have this capacity to adapt, to have resolve, to grow, to figure things out. And how do we know that? We're here. In the darkest of times, the most difficult moments of your life, 
You are here right now. Regardless if your life is beautiful and wonderful and there is sunshine and hope or your life is difficult and filled with anxiety or a lot of other things or somewhere in between, you know that you're here and that you, by your very body being in this place, is a representation of hope in this world. And so we're going to think about hope this morning. And to do that, we're going to talk about some things. And so we're going to talk about conventional wisdom and what that means. And if we can talk about conventional wisdom, well, then we're going to talk about Hanukkah, my friends. And if we can talk about Hanukkah, then we'll talk about everybody's favorite part of the Bible, Second Temple Judaism, and everybody got excited on a Sunday morning. Yes. And then if we can do that, then we'll find hope in some ritual. And if we can do that, then maybe we can be surprised by hope. And if we can be surprised by hope, then let's be realistic about this thing and recognize that hope just takes time. And if we can talk about hope taking time, well, then you know, Will Smith, King Richard, my friends. If you haven't seen it, you will after this. And then King Richard, we'll talk about practicing hope quietly. And if we can do that, then of course, it's Christmas and Advent and Jesus. It's not on the list, but it's assumed. So... I was having a conversation with somebody this week. Actually, I was sitting in somebody's car, and as I was sitting in their car, they were playing Greek philosophers. Interesting thing to get into. And so they were listening to Marcus Aurelius, as one does in Los Angeles as a millennial. And I was fascinated because I've had a version of this conversation and a version of what I was listening to Uh, a thousand different times at New Abbey, and it's this. This person was listening to Marcus Aurelius because there's some conventional wisdom here. That Marcus Aurelius is the person who, right, one of those uh, Roman Caesars who was a philosopher and a great thinker, and he said one of those famous quotes of, when death smiles at you, you smile back. We've all probably heard that one before. He's got a lot of other pithy statements like that. In a lot of ways, it sounds like Proverbs. And what I'm interested in is that in every faith tradition, in every culture around the world, there's a conventional wisdom that we look to because it's just true. There's something about it that you're like, ah, that's a statement or an idea that just helps me connect with the world in a different way. There's a a depth here in what it's saying. There's something true about these proverbs or about these statements, right, that we can hold on to, and they mean something in different seasons of our life. I I joke here, I used to have a life verse. Anyone else have life verses back in their day? Yeah, maybe you still have. Yeah, of course you do, Frankie. Yes, praise God for that. We know that. Um, How many of you have, like, Philippians 4.13 on your baseball glove, right? Yeah, yeah, all things are possible. You say it out loud already, right? All things are possible because God wants you to hit that home run. Praise God. There could be nothing truer in Americana, my friends. Right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge God. Here we go. But there's something true about it in different seasons of your life. That it's a conventional wisdom because there are times that you were given that verse and you're like, man, I'm just on fire for the Lord, whatever all that meant. And then you could deconstruct and you're letting some things go, but you're like, oh, no matter what I let go, there's a part of me that just wants to trust that there's a God out there who's bigger than me that can hold some things that I can't hold. And then you reconstruct some things and you figure it out in a new way and you go through that cycle again. And in a community like this, there's conventional wisdom in all kinds of places, Uh, Some of you love astrology, some of you love the Enneagram, some of you got some quartz crystals under your bed, some of you, it's all true, right? These are things, but when you were growing up, you're like, if you said that, you were a devil worshiper going to hell with all of your Harry Potter books. And now you've evolved, and you've grown, and you can 
hold on to a lot of the conventional wisdom that is in the world. But here's the thing about whatever conventional wisdom that you are participating with right now. That might be a blogger for you. There's some people out there who just say some good stuff on their Instagram accounts every single week. And then there are other people you're like, ah, yeah, not so much. So you, we find sources of wisdom all over the place in our current culture. What I'm interested in is this. No matter how good the wisdom is, no matter how pithy the statement, no matter how true it might be, that conventional wisdom only gets us so far. Because at the end of the day, it's an idea or it's a concept. And that idea or concept has to be lived out. And more than that, the reason that you're in this room today, the reason that you're deconstructing, reconstructing, figuring some things out, is that beyond the wisdom of this world, and there's plenty of it, and that wisdom has things to say about you, but the truth about that wisdom is it can't hold all of you. How many of you just exhaustively like read your Enneagram and you're like, trying to fit every part of you into that Enneagram number? Stop. It's helpful, but it's not all of you. Why? Because you're a human being. And what you need, what you long for, is you want to experience something beyond yourself. And as we look into the Advent season, that thing that we want to experience is we want relationship with God, that we come and we celebrate that God is with us, that beyond the wisdom of this world, what if there's something I could hold on to? Taste, smell, touch, see, know, feel what's inside of me, see in the world in a different way. In, in old school language, it was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is true for me. The way I look to Jesus is that Jesus holds both. Jesus holds a God who is magnificent and bigger and universal and constantly growing and something so far beyond what it means to be human that we could ever hold on to. And we need the Christmas stories because Jesus is the God story saying, I came and I wrapped myself in flesh. I was a baby. I did the human thing. I suffered. I lived. I didn't just have the wisdom statements. Jesus is a life that practiced this wisdom into the world. And we want to experience and follow into that wisdom in a way that actually changes our lives. And for some of you, you're like, I don't know what to do with that this morning. And for others of you, you're like, that's true of me. That is what I want. I'm actually at New Abbey on a Sunday morning in Los Angeles in December of 2021 because relationship is something that I long for and I don't know what it means anymore. But I have hope. There's an essence. There's a wonder. There's a mystery that I want to grab in some beautiful way. And so that's what we do. For the ancient Jews, Hanukkah happened because the Maccabees were in a revolt. Maccabees, you didn't think I was going there on a Sunday morning. <laughs> They were in a revolt because Antiochus Epiphanes IV, everybody's great Ptolemaic ruler, uh, had come and taken over Israel. And as he took over Israel, he took over the Jewish temple. And taking over the Jewish temple, he had built an altar to Zeus. And in building an altar to Zeus, had also sacrificed a pig. If you know about Judaism, that's a big no-no. And so the Jews were angry at the time, and they revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And as they revolted, they took back over the temple, and they lit a candle to commemorate that they had cleansed the, the temple from uh, what this, they would have called it, like, pagan leader had done to their holy place. And the story of Hanukkah is that they had lit this candle, which only had enough oil to burn for a night, but it burned for eight days. 
And it was this reminder to this faith community of a new creation. That over seven days, right, God created the world, but in this eighth day, right, something new was happening. And it was a reminder for the community that they wanted to experience God in a real way. That they wanted something more than their proverbs and their wisdom and the truth statements of their culture and their history. They wanted God to show up as we all want God to show up. As we all have moments in our life where we're at our lows, we're at our highs, and we want to experience the universe, the divine God, Jesus, in broader ways than ourselves. And it's a story for the ancient, ancient Judaism that they were constantly anticipating that God would rescue them, save them, liberate them. And they had an anticipation that God would do this because for ancient Judaism, they were constantly under oppression or captivity of ancient rulers. It was the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Persians and the Babylonians and then the Greeks and then eventually the Romans. And so by the time that we get to Jesus, there is a temple that is still going, and that temple was originally destroyed in 586 BC. Everybody's interested in historical history here this morning, am I right? Amen. In 586 BC is when the Babylonians came and they destroyed the temple. Well, this was a crisis of faith and of society and of community for the Jews. Because the temple represented something very important. The temple was the place where God lived on earth. Well, what happens when God's house gets taken over? You're a little bit stressed. You lose your identity. Talk about deconstruction literally. Who are you in that moment when you're in the darkest of times? That everything that you believe and that you think that you know about God has literally been wiped off the face of the earth. Eventually, the Jews will go into captivity. There'll be a diaspora. There'll be an exile into Babylon. And in 530 BC, uh, Cyrus, the Persian ruler, comes and he rebuilds the temple for the Jews as a means of creating peace. And that temple, which is called the Second Temple, will last until 70 AD. But right towards the end of where that temple is, is when Jesus comes onto the face of the earth. And so for Judaism at the time, they were anticipating that God was going to do something again. There was many revolts and there was many moments and there's many times in history like Hanukkah or the Maccabean revolt, uh, but they were longing that the day of the Lord would happen, the day of Yahweh, a moment kind of like the Egyptian exodus where God would come in, turn on all of the fireworks and show that this God is about this people at this time. And so there's an anticipation in their hearts that maybe the world could change because the world felt overwhelming. Does anybody feel like that in 2021? Oh, these systems are too big for any of us to deal with on our own. And they're all happening at once, it seems. And we're talking about racial and economic and medical and judicial and sexual and gender. All of the different revolts are happening in our world right now because we're saying there's a better way to be human and it's not working for everybody. And maybe us, like the Jews 2,000 years ago, are waiting for God to show up in a bigger way hey, we're here deconstructing and we're here reconstructing. We're here trying to be faithful to something and ask bigger questions. But at the end of the day, God, would you show up and do something in this world? How are we gonna deal with climate change on our own, it feels like? That the world at times just feels too big for us. And we're waiting on politicians and we're waiting on billionaires and we're waiting on all kinds of different people to find solutions. And sometimes in the middle of all of that, for the common, ordinary human in this world, there's just a hope that we have, that the, a desire that we have that the future will be better. And maybe there won't be this massive change, but maybe every Advent season we participate that in a way because we're saying maybe it can just be a deviation better. 
Maybe it can just be one inch in the, in a, the more right direction. Maybe we're not going to rid our world of carbon today, but maybe we're going to make small steps that move us towards a healthier world and a healthier planet. That this is the story that we're talking about when we think about Advent and when we think about Christmas and we think about this Jesus story. And so for Second Temple Judaism, there was this anticipation and this waiting that God was going to come and do something different. And with that in mind, let's read Luke chapter 1. And it goes like this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. I know most of you already glazed over and fell asleep at that first verse. (laughs) But for the early Jews, this would have been important because there's a connection happening here. There's a connection to a greater history that all has to do with David building a temple, but David couldn't build the temple because he was a warlike king, and so Solomon had to build the temple. And so the line of Abijah was created within the Levitical priestly line, which is one of 24 Levitical priestly lines, as you all know. And because of the line of Abijah, they were the ones who were going to build the temple. So Zechariah, who was a part of the line of Abijah, he was called on a certain day to go work in the temple. So when you're a good Jew and you heard this story, you weren't like glazing over thinking about what you're going to eat tonight. You were like, oh, there's some action that's about to happen here. It's like the beginning of the story, right? It's the beginning of a TV show and they're kind of setting you up and you're like, the line of Abijah, it's about to get good. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Pause. If you hear that in a good Jewish context, your hope for the future is generally your ability to fulfill the commandments. Many of us have relived into a religious system in this way. If I do A plus B, then it will equal C, and these will be the results. And for many of us in this room, that was incredibly damaging. You said the prayers, did the things, memorized the Bible verses, and tried not to think about naked people, and still bad things happened to you. (laughs) Or you couldn't pray something way or figure something out, or whatever the version of reality that somebody gave you wasn't helpful. And in the Jewish world, the idea was that when you followed certain commandments, that God would bless you in a certain way. And the primary way that God would bless you, because eternal life in Judaism was your capacity to have children. That you would pass on, that was eternity. This is why God says to Abraham, right, that that there will be generations that will follow you that are more numerous than the sand on the seashores or the stars in the sky, that eternity is passed on through your lineage. So the story is already setting something up that there's a problem that's going on here, that these people had done everything right, and then the next verse, they had no children. Again, if you're a good Jewish reader, you're like, something's wrong with the story. They did everything right. Of course, they're supposed to have children. Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priest, and he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. This is a very kind of interesting opening to a passage because it's very Jewish, and if you don't have context for it, or if you didn't, you know, take some time to read some commentaries or something like that, you're like, okay, great, let's get to the other parts because none of this can be my life verse, right? (laughs) Well, today I was thinking about the line of Abijah, right? How's that for some water cooler talk? 
But if you're a Jew, you're already connected with something much richer here. Oh, there's an ancient story that we've all participated with where there was an older couple one time who started our faith and they were faithful to follow God and they were called righteous and it was Abraham and Sarah and they didn't have children either. And so we know this story already that they were barren, whether that's literal or metaphorical, it's telling you something, that they had done all of the right things and they hadn't received the blessing of God. And so they were troubled about that in their life. And how many of you have been there? You feel like you're doing the right things and you want God to show up in a certain way because you have expectations for the desires that you have for your future and they're not happening in this moment. And so you're having these existential crises and asking yourself some things about what does this all mean? And then you have that moment where you're reading all of the tea leaves in your life, right? Everything that you do. You're like, well, that must be why I didn't experience a raise today because I did X or Y. And we try to like get those things out of us, but they still are in us in some way. And so a verse like this is powerful because it's a reminder for the people before you get a little bit further of, oh, stop what you're doing right there. Stop doing all of the mental gymnastics where you believe that there is no hope and God can't show up. Remember, we're talking about a couple who's barren. If you remember back to our stories, that's exactly what God does. God shows up in barren places. Oh, now we're connected to the story. Oh, now we see that there's some hope here. Oh, we serve a God who, who shows up and he frees slaves. Oh, we're part of a story where God shows up and he liberates people from Pharaoh and from the oppressors. That there's all this connection going on into your tradition and into your heritage that says, oh, in the moment that I thought that it was hopeless, in the moment in the middle of Babylonian captivity, in the moment where I thought that the Trump era would never end, in the moment, fill in your blank, there was still hope. There was still a God who shows up and does things even when you think that God is completely absent. And so my challenge for us in some ways is can we find hope in the rituals? That part of the reason that we light candles and set up Christmas trees or you know, drink from red cups at Starbucks is little reminders. <laughs> little reminders of the divine in the world. And would you embrace that this Christmas and Advent season? When you're feeling hopeless, when you're trying to figure things out, may all of the things that become white noise around us stand out to you. Whenever you see a, that ugly sweater, you say, hope is in this world. When you see your neighbor putting up those Christmas lights, you think, oh man, I don't know where I was, but you know what? I never thought that I would be happy on Thanksgiving. Oh, God surprised me in a different way. Oh, all these things are going on in the world, and there's moments where sometimes the justice system finds people guilty, like those that murdered Ahmaud Arbery. It doesn't bring somebody back. It's not real justice because there's still somebody who's gone in this world. The justice that we want is a living soul. But there's a moment where we say, maybe it's one step forward in the right direction that this world cannot look this way. That when we see a point set, it would remind us that there can be hope and that our God is a God who works in the God forsaken. Our God is a God who shows up in the darkness. Our God is light who constantly presents God's self. And we'd be reminded of that simply because we participate in some rituals. Would these rituals not just be something that we do and then we just gloss over it and then we somehow get to January making resolutions already? Would every single moment of rituals be a moment to embrace hope in a new way?
The passage goes on to this. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. In the temple, there's boxes within boxes within boxes within boxes of where people can go. And some of the priests are allowed to go further within the boxes and deeper into the story because there is where the altar of Yahweh is, like where the, the Ten Commandments are, basically. And in that place is where the high priest can only go once a year, and they would come into this altar, and they would offer prayers for the people of God. And so Zechariah was far away from where the crowds were, and Zechariah was in the holy of the holies of the holies, so to speak. He was in a place where he was anticipating that God may show up. But the truth is, like many of us, that sometimes rituals don't always work. They're just rituals. And so we go through these rituals, and we're not always expecting or anticipating that God is actually going to be there. And the hope is, is that if we can practice in some rituals and find hope there, then maybe we can also be surprised by hope. That hope will find us even when we're not anticipating us. Maybe hope will find us even in the mundane. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. He was shook. But the angel said, that was so cheesy. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for the four pity laughs. I appreciate that in my heart. The rest of you, we can work on it, is all I'm saying. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. You may have heard this said before, but don't be afraid is the most common phrase in the entire Bible. That's interesting, right? That the thing that God wants to say to human beings, maybe because we experience it a lot, is that you're in fear again. You're afraid again. Because as human beings, the unknown just does not work well for us. Oh, you're in Roman captivity again. There's darkness going on again. You don't know how you're going to make it out of this thing again. And God keeps reminding us, keep showing up in new and fresh ways. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're here. We've gotten through that. We can get through this. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have a great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. Some of you are like, thank God I am not John. Someone else is called to this journey. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, right? The power of Elijah was this great prophet in Israel who turned Israel back to seeing that God was there as their liberator and for them, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers and mothers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That is a big thing for an angel of God to say about your coming child, right? I'm just like, I hope my kid maybe goes to college. I don't know. Let alone turn the hearts of all of Israel. That's a big calling. How are we surprised by hope in our world? I think sometimes we can be surprised by hope when we're not cynical. I imagine that Zechariah could have been cynical in this moment. You're old and you don't have kids. And I know so many people who have gone through the journey of infertility. That is something that for a long time we didn't talk about in our culture. I know so many people you have anticipated or longed or wanted something so badly and it hasn't presented itself. And it's easy to get cynical in those moments. It's easy to become calloused. And you don't do it because you're bad or evil. You do it to protect yourself because it's hard and the world hurts sometimes. But sometimes when we participate in cynicism, when everything that comes on social media is just one more moment to comment or say, see, there it goes again, it robs us of hope. It robs us of joy. It robs us of gladness. It robs us of a future. 
And in a community like ours, which is a bunch of liberals and progressives, I say it all the time, be angry, have rage, there's things to be mad about, and go build some things. Go create some things. Go do some things in the world. If you're just over here burning down houses, the world will not get any better. If you're just over here participating in cynicism and talking about how bad it is and the things that you're moving away from, instead of also the things that you can move for and towards, the world will look incredibly bleak. And this story is not about Zechariah, that he had so much faith that because of his faith, God came and blessed him. No, it's just that God shows up and surprises us sometimes. God shows up in all kinds of places and surprises us, and I believe that we have eyes to see at times when we can move away from our cynicism, when we can be open and surrender the outcomes. We all have expectations for what the future may be. Dream big. Write those things down. Get a plan. Sign up for an executive coach. Do your therapy. There's all kinds of good work that can be done. And know that every expectation that you have is not required to be fulfilled. And maybe if we can open some of those things up, you'll be surprised about how many more things go our way simply by the way that we view and that we see the world. And so we move from finding hope in our rituals to being surprised by hope. And the passage goes on to say this. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. I love the authenticity and the honesty of the Bible. I love that the Bible is just like, honestly, I'm calling BS on you, dude. Right? Sometimes I'm not ready for a hopeful message. Sometimes I'm not ready to hear that thing. Sometimes I'm not ready to participate in that thing. Sometimes I just have questions and doubts. And the Bible always just names those things. It's not trying to pretend that everybody was so holy and so faithful and it's like, Gabriel, you have decreed it on high. My son will not drink alcohol and will bring all of the Israelites and I praise you for this thing. He's like, to be honest, I'm kind of old, dude. I don't really get the biology of this thing. (laughs) Seems like a fair question because sometimes even if we're surprised by hope, hope just takes time. Be gracious with yourself. Be gracious with yourself as you're finding hope in this world. Be gracious with yourself as hope is surprising you. Trust that there will be a process and there will be a pattern and there will be a rhythm and that hope will slowly bloom and blossom inside of you and that that's okay. Trust that you can be patient with the process and that you can ask some questions and that you can doubt some things and that you can wonder and that you can figure it out. And God's not scared of that, but it actually looks like God's embracing that thing. So Zechariah offers some honest questions, and then Gabriel spanks him. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. Bragger, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent, unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I see this as a moment of this is how we grow, that we can doubt and we question and we wonder. I don't see this as a punishment. I see it as an opportunity to listen more that God creates opportunities for us to hear the hope that's already out there. The passage goes on to say this. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. How many of us has felt that way? The hope just takes too long. That the things that I'm waiting for just aren't here. Will Smith just created uh, this new movie called King Richard, and it's incredibly powerful because it intersects at so many different layers of our society. It tells the story of the two most female tennis players, maybe tennis players in the world, Venus and Serena Williams. 
and that how they had to overcome so many different things in their journey of hope, that they had a father who had a vision, who had a plan, that he was desiring a better outcome for his children and for his family, and that there was obstacles all the way uh, along this process. And part of the story is so powerful because each person has their own desires in it, including uh, the coaches and the agents and who Richard is and what his daughters want. And the story is powerful because it's about waiting and anticipation and longing that when we're surprised by hope, right, that sometimes, and when we're patient in it, that hope finds us in really beautiful ways. And it's a movie for me that spoke to me at a lot of different layers because it just speaks to the difficulty of what it means to live in the United States. It's honest about it. It's honest about what it means to grow up African-American in this culture. It's honest about the hurdles that they had to overcome of getting into a sport like tennis. It's a story that's filled with obstacles and it's filled with people who are still open, who put aside cynicism and who are open to what life could actually be. And they put in the work there and they allowed for the magic and the surprise to happen as well. And I think that's where we're at in this Christmas and Advent season, that there's always gonna be obstacles to hope but there's things that we can participate in, new rituals and rhythms, and there's opportunities that we can be open to surprise, that we can be patient along the process, that hope will take time, right? And then as we get into this process, I think that we can practice hope quietly, which is something that's difficult for many of us. The passage finishes like this. And when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home, and soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and he went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she explained. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. That that's not a small verse. That that verse represents the hope, cultural pressure, eternal life in a faith group for 2,000 years ago, and that God had somehow showed up. And God didn't show up in conventional wisdom. God didn't show up through an Enneagram number. God showed up through something real, tangible, that we can hold on to, that we can smell, that we can experience, that we can hold. And I believe that's what we all want in Advent and Christmas this year. I believe that's what we all want all of the time, that you're hoping for some things, and you're not hoping for more ideas and concepts. You're hoping for things that you can grab onto and take hold of, and that you can trust that God will be with you in that. And so my hope for us, New Abbey, in this season is that we would experience Jesus, faith, God, your spirituality in richer and deeper ways. My hope for you this Advent and Christmas season that it wouldn't just be about concepts and ideas, that it wouldn't just be expectations that you have about a holiday season, but that this would be a season that's filled with beautiful ritual that reminds you of hope, that you would be surprised at every corner of the ways that God is not showing up, but is already there. My hope for you this Christmas season that you would be patient with yourself as you discover and allow hope to blossom in your life. My hope for you this season is that you would practice hope quietly. That maybe the ways that you're gonna practice hope quietly this season is you're gonna just not look at your phone the first five minutes when you wake up. How hard is that, by the way? Instead of letting your brain be filled with more light and more noise and more things going on, it's just an opportunity to say, oh, I'm just gonna sit quietly and reflect maybe on the hope that's in this world. 
Maybe it's going to be an opportunity where you just move away from technology or social media completely. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to practice writing out a gratitude list. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to write out the hopes that you have for the future. There's all kinds of different ways that you can practice hope, but how could it be at the forefront of your mind? And that when you experience that hope, how could it be not just an idea or a concept, but a reminder that God is with you and that God is for you and that God is ahead of you? not as an idea, but as a relationship, as essence, as something that you can hold and experience profoundly and powerfully in this world. Would you find three or four people around you and would you ask this question, how can you practice hope this Advent? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.